Blog Talk Radio. Recovering from Depression. 
based on the reevaluation counseling process and which trained in the 90s, I found a way through by going within and listening to my heart and body. No special tools or books are required. There is nothing to buy for anyone has their own intimate healing, I'm sorry, their own intimate healing tools. And my role is to help people find them, he says. After more than 20 years of fighting depression, psychologists, psychiatrists, and many cycles of medication, one simple personal insight brought me home. To all those people, depression, I say thank you. Simply thank you for doing such a wonderful job. Bob explains his childhood trauma. Mom was prone to violent outbursts of rage. So I got the crap beaten out of me for many years. The message he got was, she does not love me. He goes on. Dad was a mythical being who was always at work. So the message I got was, Dad never spends any time with me. Therefore, he does not love me. Bob became a people pleaser and totally abandoned his needs. Later, he took a 12-step course for adult children of absent parents, which was helpful. John Bradshaw worked on the inner child and family and opened the floodgates for me, Bob says. I realized that I am the only expert of my, on my life. Bob includes, for me, we are all victims of victims, and if you don't have it back, you pass it on. If you don't hand it back, you pass it on. Time to break this multi-generational cycle of abuse. Wow, those were some powerful words from Mr. Bob. Um, Bob, thank you for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure to hear your testimony and very educational. You've done, you put forth a lot of work in your recovery and it shows. And for anyone that's listening tonight, I hope you have your pen and paper or pencil and paper notebook ready to take some notes. Uh, without further ado, I'd love to introduce Bob Eden. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, it's, um, an honor and a pleasure, and it's um, 10 a.m. Uh, in the morning on, what day is it? <laughs> Tuesday here in paradise, and I'm so excited, so excited to to be back on, and um, thanks for that. You preempted uh, me in asking people to have a, a pen and paper handy. Um, to, just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Because I'm in Australia and there is a time delay in, you know, uh, communicating like this. Um, And also because it breaks the flow, I would like to use the talking stick protocol. And so when I do start sharing and pick up the talking stick, um, I would ask everybody else just to mute their microphone so that there's the my flow doesn't get interrupted and after I finish sharing, I put the talking stick down and then open up all the mics and then we can, you know, um, deal with any questions or comments that come up in that sort of Q&A period, if that's okay with you. And um, if that is okay, um, I'll, I'll let me know and I'll pick up the talking stick and begin 
what what I'm so excited about to share today. Yes, definitely. This is your show. This is your night, and we're just honored to have you with us. And uh, you may begin when you're ready, and we will mute. Thank you very much. I, I feel so excited. It's like the feeling I get when I go in the green room. Um, where you know where I used to prepare for going up on stage, you know, and I got butterflies in the tummy. But um, and I'm just going with the flow. This is what's coming from me. This is not scripted. Um, uh, I've shared my story about my childhood, you know, where Mum was always beating me. Therefore, she does not love me. Therefore, I'm unlovable, and it's all my fault. Um, and that was. That was um, one of one of the lessons I learned as a child. You know that I'm unlovable and the world's a dangerous place. And then Dad was never there, so he never spent any time with me. He didn't love me. I'm unlovable, and it's all my fault. So, but where I am, where I am now, having done the work, and I'll talk about the fundamental uh, challenges and steps I went through later. I just want to give you a picture of what my life is like now. One of the biggest steps I took was I took full responsibility for this life. So I am master and commander of this life that I do create, and I take full responsibility for it. And that was that was one of the really big steps. And now uh, my life is really simple. I drive my life in alignment with two principles. And the first principle is the KISS principle, keep it simple, sovereign. And I know you may not have heard that before, but I have found that the words I choose to use create my reality. So I change simple to sovereign because I am sovereign, and I believe we are all sovereign. And then the second principle is something I call the Sue principle, and it's something I coined about 15 years ago. S-U-E, the Sioux Principle. We are all sovereign, unique, and equal, and everything else just flows from that. So those are the two guiding principles in my life, and they both reside under the umbrella of integrity. For without personal integrity, none of this magic that's happening in my life could have occurred. Without personal integrity, if I can lie to myself, and I can lie to anyone. And so now my life is very, very simple. There is only one law, God's law, nature's law, do no harm. And I've only got one right, and that is the right of self-determination. And and that's where that phrase came from, you know, I am the only expert on my life, because I am unique in the whole of creation. I am the only one that can ever ever know what my needs are (laughs) and yet so often in my life I hear from people oh I know what you need to do mate (laughs) it just makes me laugh and you know so sorry mate you know um I know you're only trying to help but you know I'm here to live my life my way not your way Uh, and how I go through my life um 
But I listen to my body. My body is so much smarter than me. I, I have learned, and again, this is, and I would like to say to everybody, for every paragraph I share, for every sentence I speak, just put for me in front of it. Because, you know, I just want to reinforce that all I'm doing is speaking for me and sharing my truth. And I do not expect it to um, re relate to anybody else. You know, I don't have your truth. I've only got my truth, my story, and it's unique to me. And I don't, you know, people that claim that, you know, I found the right way to meditate. <laughs> only your heart can give you that answer. You know, <laughs> whatever, for me, whatever puts me in the zone is what helps me to meditate. So how do I go throughout my day? Well, I listen to my body, and mostly my body wakes me up at about 3 a.m. Uh, and if I don't wake up with a giggle, you know, I'll, I'll put on something that's funny. I'll listen to Billy Connolly. And so either spontaneously or consciously, I start the day with a giggle. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? And then I just, something will grab my attention, and I'll go and spend some time doing that. And then something else will grab my attention. And so I go and spend some time doing that. And that, for me, is all heart-space stuff. Uh, the headspace stuff, like um, going and doing my laundry and going and doing the shopping and all that sort of stuff. I just have a little list. And when the time is right, um, I switch from heart-space back to headspace and do all the, you know, the sort of practical things that I need to do in my life. Oh, dear. And so, how did I get here? You know, how did I get here? I noticed that the only time my life gets complicated is when my head, my mind is back in the driving seat. You know, if, I, if I'm feeling busy and it's all too complicated and all too hard, I've got this realisation that, hey, hang on, <laughs> your intellect, your mind has slipped back in the driving seat, Bob. So all I do is... I visualize me reaching in and grabbing my mind from behind the steering wheel, throwing it in the trunk and then putting my heart back in behind the, the steering wheel and letting my heart drive my life again and my life becomes simple again. And so one of the, one of the, the greatest tools um, and greatest skills that I developed was uh, realizing that my mind is just a tool that I use when I choose for I am so much more than my mind and as the spiritual mechanic I have many other tools in my toolbox and being good how can I put it a good owner you know a good craftsman looks after his tools and, and um, they need love and care and attention and so how I treat my mind is <laughs> I treat it like my little puppy dog, you know. Um, I say, hey, Skipper, come here, come here. Now, you go off and do some reason, because it's getting feisty, you know. My mind is feisty. I can feel it in the background there. So I say, come on, you go off and do some research into solar luminescence or something, and then come back and report to me. So off my mind trots, wagging its little tail, because it's had some attention from the master. Then it comes back and reports to me. 
So I pat it on the head and say, thank you very much, mind. You've done a great job. Now back in your basket, I'll take you for another run tomorrow. And so that's how I, you know, I keep my mind separate from the essential being that is me. And I've come to realize that on my own hero's journey, and I believe everybody's on their own hero's journey, whether consciously or sub unconsciously, uh, I kept, kept thinking that, you know, this keep it simple, sovereign. You know, all you need is love. And yes, that is so true. All you need is love. And for me, the goal in my journey, what I'm working on at the moment is reclaiming that innocence and that love of self that I had as a very young child before it got beaten out of me. And so the love of self is fundamental to my journey. And I, for me, that's not narcissistic or egoistic. It's something that was beaten out of me and taken from me as a child. That wonderful innocence, that magic of experiencing this life. And, but that's, that's just, how can I put it? In the heart of hearts, for me, that is the core value the core state of being of every being is that complete love of self but also even bigger than that is unconditional love for everything now I haven't got there yet you know let's uh, that's probably lifetimes away but I'm happy in the progress that I'm making in reclaiming the love of myself and I know that I still do not love myself enough because I'm still battling with addictions. And all addictions are like a subconscious way of reinforcing that old message that I'm, I'm unlovable, I'm not valuable, you know, I don't deserve to be healthy or wealthy. And, and a classic example is I'd love to, love to quit smoking. Uh, I know all of me knows that it's no good for me and that's one of my addictions that I'm sort of battling with um, <laughs> but you know if I didn't have battles there'd be no growth would there <laughs> oh dear <clears throat> just trying to think of other steps I went through yeah so healing the wounds of my childhood was absolutely fundamental I'd recommend that to anybody and my resource and I love the man uh, John Bradshaw is now moved on but he's got some great videos on YouTube and his books homecoming and healing the shame that binds you absolutely groundbreaking you know that he is like the the grandfather of the inner child work as far as I I could see so that was that was fundamental and the second thing was when a baby's born, oh, you know, this is just my, my interpretation. When a baby's born, we've got the basic operating system there. So, yeah, my lungs are working, my eyes are working, I can move my arms and legs. Um, so the basic operating system's in place. But my mind, or like the hard drive of my computer, is blank. And so as, as I go through life, 
more programs are loaded into that, like the information I get from my parents, from the education or indoctrination system, from mainstream media, more and more programs get loaded onto that hard drive. And from those programs, I establish my beliefs. And it took me, it's like, as I went through life, more and more programs were loaded. And my intellect was having a ball, but my spirit was getting heavier and heavier. And there came a time when my inner knowing, knowing that what, what I was doing wasn't in alignment with what was in my heart, when that distance became too far away, that is when my body woke me up. So the process started in 1952, and my body gave me a great big slack in 1984 when I had my first panic attack. I said, Bob, Robert the robot, you've gone too far. You've strayed too far from your inner humanness. It's time you woke up. It's time you found your truth and started living it. And so what I did... Uh, as master and commander, I thought, well, what is my life purpose? And I thought, well, I, I'm master and commander. I'll set my life purpose. And I set it to be to simply find my own truth. And how do I know what is my truth? Whatever resonates with my heart. So I started questioning everything. And I remember being so angry so angry realizing that most of the stuff I'd taken on board was absolute lies absolute lies but by going through that questioning process I was able to establish what is true for me and then the second stage was okay I'm a spiritual being having a physical experience how do I want to experience this life so again I set my unconscious life intention, which is, I am here to have a gentle, joyful, loving, healthy, and abundant life. Now, I am here to have is my command to the universe, but it's also uh, my address for the universe. So the universe knows where to deliver what I've commanded. And you know what? Ever since I put that... Uh, conscious life intention in place I'm just kicking back just kicking back and letting the universe do all the hard work oh. and I think that's probably enough for now um, so I'll put down the talking stick and let's um, let's rattle and roll let's uh, get the show going thank you thank you for that Bob um, so much, so much, and that was just the beginning. Um, I wanted to ask you about that feeling of feeling that you were unlovable. Um, there's so many people that can relate to that. So many people have been treated badly and been abused and neglected, because that was a lot of neglect. But that feeling of feeling unlovable feeling unworthy, you know, some some people really go to deep depression and try to take their lives. How did, how did you deal with that? If you can just take us a little bit through 
overcoming yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'll just reiterate, um, I'm just sharing what works for me, and I think that's a challenge for everybody. And I found all my own solutions within my heart. But it was going through the John Bradshaw's work of healing the wounds of my childhood, um, I came to realize that my violent childhood, I was not to blame for my, you know, childhood. You know, I was just a young, innocent, powerless uh, little magical being that was slowly having all its magic stripped away just by simply um, existing in this society. And so by doing the work and going back in my mind, you know, to my childhood and reliving all those moments of terror and then and then um, remembering them and remembering the feelings, I just realized that this is not my fault. I didn't deserve to be treated this way. And that's what prompted me to write the letter to mum. And this, this is an, uh, a, a really, it was absolutely powerful. I just sat down one day, and this is about 1992, so I'm sort of nearly um, still under medications. I said that I've been on the drugs for about eight years, but I sat down and wrote this letter to mum. <coughs> Dear mum, I'm just writing to tell you how I felt as a child growing up in our family. Mum, this is not about blame. I'm just telling you my story. Please tell me yours. So, <coughs> I got the pen and paper there, you know, and what I thought was going to be one or two pages ended up being about an inch thick, you know. It's like more and peace when I'm finished. I started off, Mum, I hated it when you bashed me with a carpet sweeper. I hated it when you dangled me by my wrist and hit me with a saucepan, you know. And I hated it when you shamed me in front of my friends and every incident that I could recall, I just wrote down, wrote down, wrote down, and it, just writing it down was healing enough. You know, I eventually got to the end of this huge document and said, reiterated, Mum, this is not about blame, just telling you my story. Please tell me your story, your loving son, Bob. And then with shaking hands and trembling knees, I went off and I posted that letter to mum back in England. That's a really hard thing for me to do. But I knew within my heart of hearts that I had to do it. So eventually I got a letter back from mum saying, oh, Bobby, 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 you must think I'm the first mother in the whole world. But I was only doing my very, very best. So I wrote back and said, Mum, this is not about blame. I want to hear your story. Now, what prompted me to write that letter was in my own journey, I got to this stage where, God, I hate you, Mum. You're always beating me. You're always beating me. But you've got to love you, Mum. You've only got one Mum. And it was that di dichotomy that was tearing my soul apart. <clears throat> and that gave me the energy to write and post that letter. So eventually Mum wrote back. And she, she told me her story. She was born in Germany <coughs> in 1924. Um, Dad was an alcoholic. Her mum was a control freak. Her cousins were in the SS, so they got shot. <coughs> um, 
and she basically she had a really really violent childhood too and that's when the light bulb went off yes mum was doing her very very best but all she could do was dump on me what got dumped on her and so by sharing our stories hearing mum's story I could move from hate and anger through understanding that she was just doing her very best back to loving my mum and then I found her in the UK and she was back in hospital with a second incidence of bowel cancer and that's the first time we spoke as mother and son two loving human beings and crying her eyes out and it was such a beautiful conversation and then three days later she died but what a beautiful closure but there's a caveat to this little story um, a couple of years later I contacted a spiritual medium said I wanted to talk to mum and then she told me stuff about mum and I that only I mum and I would know so I knew this lady was fair dinkum or genuine and mum was saying Bobby 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 thank you so much for writing that letter because I am now doing the same work with my own parents in the beyond and that absolutely just blew me away but it it was at that time how can I put it by writing that letter I broke my own multi-generational cycle of abuse and I felt as if somebody had taken an elephant off the shoulders of my soul oh. So there I am feeling one elephant lighter. <laughs> but I still got this niggle in my shoulder. What's this niggle? Right, dad, you bastard. So I got the notepad out and wrote um, a similar letter to dad, who'd already died. But I just wrote the same thing and then put it in an envelope, put on the envelope to dad in heaven, and then I burnt it. And so that's how I got closure over healing the, the wounds of my childhood well that's that's how I did it and that's what works for me and what I doing the Bradshaw work is um, great you know journaling is great all that sort of stuff but I also realized that every moment of terror that I experienced as a child became a body memory it was locked in my body and that's why I say my body always knows what it needs and my body is smarter than me. So it's by turning off my thinking and getting into my feeling and creating a space where it was safe for me to lose control and let my body discharge all those trapped feelings of terror that, had been, that it had held for over 40 years, maybe 40, 50 years. And I did that on my boat and I screamed and ranted and shouted and swore and... You know, but I got got them out, so my issues were in my tissues. So there was, it was a two pronged attack, like healing the wounds of the childhood, and then getting rid of the crap, the the negative energy that my body was holding, that brought me to this place now. And you know, I'm 71 now, and I've never felt more zestful for life. Um, and that zest comes from the mission I've chosen and that mission is to 
to eradicate suicide. You know, that's my mission, and that's what inspires me. That's what inspires me to do shows like this and write my books and do my talks and yeah. So I found my mission. I set my purpose. I've set my life um, conscious life intention. So the universe is doing all the hard work, and which just allows me to spend. What's it? When my body's tired, we sleep, and when my body's awake, we play. And that is what my life is like. And if anybody wants to come and visit and spend some time with me, you're more than welcome. That was a bit of a long answer to your question, but I hope I got there. Yes, you're you beyond that there. Um, we have more questions. I have a few, but I know uh, Ms. Penelope, she has a question or a comment. And come in. Are you ready? Penelope? Hi, Ms. Penelope, could you hear me? Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, so she should come in any second. Uh, she was waiting to uh, to join us, Miss Penelope. Okay. Well, we wait for her. <clears throat> you know, you said something else because you said a lot of important things, but you talked about body memory. Um, and it's true. You know. Um, the body does more, you know, things comedy and stuff like that. I like the fact that you make it at a point to wake up in the morning and to have a giggle, to have a good laugh. You know, it's yeah. been a lot of trauma, life trauma, 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 but you make it a point to wake up in the morning and start with a good laugh. And the way that you start your morning really does. Uh, you know, can dictate how you go on for the rest of your day. So being angry and being upset and just sad at the beginning of your day can really go down a whole rabbit hole. First, let me double check. Ms. Penelope, are you back on? Okay. Uh, she'll join us soon. But if you can just talk a little bit about oh, Ms. Penelope, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I, I it was very bizarre. I didn't have my phone on mute, and I could see myself in the studio, so I don't know what happened there, but um, thank you for – so I hung up and called back in. That seemed to work. So, you know, I first want to say, if anybody's having a hard time calling in, please try again, 59 um, – I'm sorry, 646-595-2118. Again, that's 646-595-2118. Two one one eight, and it's my job as the trailer, as the co-host, to greet you on our back line. So please, if you try to call in, it didn't work. Please try again. We may be having an issue with our studio. So um, thanks, Dr. Nancy. I just wanted to mention that. Um, so you know, Bob, I always enjoy um, hearing um, the testimony, and I learned so much from you. And I just, first of all, just want to say that. Um, and I also, um, in my in my own recovery really have um, benefited quite a bit from Dr. John Bradshaw and uh, a lot of his uh, his uh, podcasts I've listened to. There's some YouTube videos and also his books. And um, I'm just wondering, um, do you actively participate in any of 
you know, anything offered, um, you know, he's obviously passed away, but um, anything else available, you know, on the Internet that you participate in that you could maybe recommend? Um, yeah, come and have a Zoom chat with me. Okay. <laughs> I've started a, a support group here um, for just that. Um, and it's called, although it's targeted at men, and uh, anybody's, um, anybody's welcome. And the, the title of it is called On the Mend, um, a safe space for, for people to share what's really going on in their lives. And so because we're all sovereign, unique, and equal, I believe that everybody holds the piece, a piece of the puzzle. And so that simply by sharing our stories, and especially the stories of the first 10 years of our lives, but simply by sharing our stories, we help to heal each other. Now, I view everybody, before they begin the healing journey, as part of that big, uh, jigsaw puzzle. But the piece they're holding is brown on both sides. But as you go through the healing journey, you start to color in your own piece of the puzzle. And the more you color it in, when you lay it on the table, the more the bigger picture becomes clearer for everyone. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think, um, obviously, you know, a lot of the times we carry the shame because we're afraid to disclose um, some of the events of our childhood. And I, so I definitely think that sharing helps to realize you're not alone and that it's okay to speak of these things and to sort of, you know, shed that, shed that shame. Um, but I do think it's, it's the shame um, and the secrecy and, you know, that, um, that really uh, paralyzes us. So I, I, I definitely think that I agree, and I agree that, that just sharing that is a huge conduit to releasing that shame because it's the shame that we carry that helps it, it hinders our own, you know, ability to really accept ourselves. Um, and I, that's why I personally have found John Bradshaw's work so, you know, profound and, um, and beneficial in my own experience. I know that you, you know, you, you've alluded to it quite a bit. And I, so I applaud you for, for your support group because I think that, that um, that's the most powerful thing, I think, you know, in, in terms of my own experience is to just, you know, verbalize and share um, in a platform where there are people that have um, similar experiences um, and useful faith. So um, oh. I definitely will participate. So thank you. Thank you yeah, for, I'll, for the recommendation. I'll post the details of that uh, support group um, on the uh, NASCA Facebook uh, Great. page. Great. Um, it's, it's 7 a.m. Um, every Saturday morning for me, so it'll be uh, 12 or 14 hours back. So let's see, 7, 7 p.m., probably about 5 p.m. Friday for um, people in the States. But, you know, it's, it's sort of doable, and everybody's welcome. And it's based on the principle of the talking stick, so everybody gets a fair go. And if you don't want to share, you don't have to share that, you know. But it's it's getting back to 
especially for men, to know that it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, um, no man is an island. Only I can do it, but I, I can't always do it on my own, so it's okay to reach out. Ah, but what other things would I recommend? Um, my best guide, my best guide, my heart is my only compass and my inner tuition is my only guide. So go exploring, go exploring the internet, you know, look at things and if it resonates with your heart, well, give it a go, you've got nothing to lose. It's like, you know, join my mailing list, read my story, you know, um, you've got nothing to lose and it won't cost you anything, you know. Don't be afraid. I suppose the message is, don't be afraid to follow the heart. I actually bet my life one night on trusting my intuition. Uh, did I, have I ever shared that story with you? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'll do it again because I love, I love telling stories. And a story implies you, know, you made it up, but no. What I'm doing is sharing the story of my life, my witness testimony. So, just don't remember what year it was. Probably about 2007, 2008. I was down below in my boat, Fidelio, on my mooring in Pioneer Bay. It's about 7.30 at night, so it's dark here in the tropics. And the bay is surrounded by Mang mangrove trees where crocodiles live so I'm down below and I'm naked because it's hot it's in the tropics and I'm on on my laptop on my dog's Facebook page and then all of a sudden the lights went dim and I looked peered over at the voltmeter no 13 volts so it's not that and I couldn't breathe I couldn't breathe you know that like my chest just wasn't working and then off to the left, right at the edge of my vision, on the left-hand side, was this black, spiry, silky wispiness that, I, no matter how far I turned my head, I couldn't bring it in front of me. It just stayed there at the edge of my vision. And I thought, oh, no, it's all over, Red Rover. The Grim Reaper has come to claim me. So I typed into Facebook, Hey guys, if I don't post anything in the next 20 minutes, can you get Volunteer Marine Rescue to come out and get my dog Barnaby? Because my fear was that, you know, I was having a stroke or something, and if I died um, after he'd eaten me, then he would starve. So that was my fear, and that's why I, I posted that. And then I'm sitting there, still not breathing, and I don't know about you, but in these moments of near death, and I've had a few in my life. Time is irrelevant, you know. It felt like hours, but I don't know. It could have been microseconds, I don't know. But I couldn't breathe. And so, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I could have typed in, hey guys, can you get the ambulance people out here? I think I'm having a stroke. I could have done that, but I didn't. I just sat there, centred, uh, and let my body do what it needed to do. So my body stood up, walked up the companionway, got up onto the open deck, and I looked up at the sky, and I could see two full moons. 
So I'm surrounded by mangrove trees where the crocodiles are, and it's after dark, and sharks feed after dark. Well, bugger the sharks. And my body just threw me into the bay. I just went, whoa, splash. And I rolled over onto my back and then spread my arms and legs out like a great big starfish. And then all of a sudden there was a... (sighs) And I was breathing again. And that was the night I consciously chose to trust my intuition, to follow my heart, to obey my body. That was my rite of passage. End of story. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow, I agree. And and for me, in Western society, that's something that doesn't happen anymore. It does it, you know, in tribal cultures, that the young, the youngling that's growing up reaches a stage in its development um, where it is taken through a rite of passage to go from childhood to spiritual and emotional adulthood, and that no longer happens in Western society. Um, and so, which is why I say. You know, I'm surrounded by a load of 50-year-old, five-year-olds. You know, they haven't, they haven't reached that. They haven't had to face their own death and go beyond it. You know, and I'm not saying everybody should go out there and start diving off, diving off tall cliffs into the ocean, but somehow set it up so that they, for to make that leap of faith. To go back and make that leap of faith is essential to moving forward. To reclaim your belief in yourself. And I lost my belief in myself. Um, Another little story. Um, When I was about four and three quarter years old, it was a Sunday morning. (laughs) I got up and bounced out of bed and brushed my teeth and combed my hair and put on my favourite red t-shirt and bounced down at breakfast and mum said Bobby go back upstairs and put on your blue t-shirt you know you love your blue t-shirt so I thought bugger you know I'm in trouble here so I stood up confused because I thought no I love my red t-shirt that's why I put it on but you know I've got to obey mum because mum's mum and she's very very angry very violent and she's about 80 foot tall so I went back to my bedroom and put on my blue T-shirt and went down, subdued, and sat down and ate my breakfast. And that established a pattern. That was the, the, the moment I stopped believing in me and believing that authority figures knew what was right for me. And that was a habit that I took far too long into my own adulthood. But by realizing that and healing the wounds of my childhood, I was able to reclaim the belief in myself. Because, and that, I think that's the biggest fear of everyone, really, is they're so afraid of how powerful they really are. Like, when I had my first panic attack, that was, knowing now what I know now, that was just my body telling me to wake up. But the feelings I were, was having at that time, because I was living in headspace, they were just so overwhelming. I didn't know what to do. And that's what took me to the Western medical model where I was put on antidepressants. 
and that was okay at that time, but it sh should have only been for a couple of weeks till you know till the energy of those uh, feelings subsided and they were manageable. But what should have been two weeks turned into over twenty years, and that that was horrendous because the the realization that I came to is I spent 20 years with my amazing intellect trying to think my way out of depression and couldn't because my depression was nothing to do with the mind. It was a wound of the soul. And the only way I could heal it was through feeling. And all these medications and addictions separate separated me from getting fully in touch with my feelings. But once I was able to get rid of that barrier, get rid of my medications, and totally, totally get in touch with my feelings, my healing journey just went off like a rocket. Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I had to go out of my mind to come to my senses, literally. And my senses, for me, are my feelings. Like I experience this life through my senses. I feel the warmth of the sun on my back. I smell the sweet tang of the rotting mangoes at the base of the tree. I hear the raucous laughter of the kookaburras in the morning. So I actually experience this life through my senses, not my thinkings. And so for me, Descartes was wrong. It's not, I think therefore I am, it is, I feel, therefore I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the work that you do to help eradicate suicide. I know that as a survivor of different forms of abuse, um, you understand that suicide is on, it's always been on a rise, but we're learning more and more about it today. So can you tell us, um, I know that you're doing your support group, which I think is amazing. I know you're on the show sharing your story. And I know that you're really, really, really focused on the recovery portion for survivors. I'm glad that you're opening up a room for men. I think that that's something that's really important um, because men a lot of times don't feel that they have a safe space where they can share. Um, they feel that they just have to be strong and, and uh, put this facade up because they're being judged if they do share their emotions. So I just want to commend you for doing that and setting up those spaces. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, how the work that you do to help eradicate suicide, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been sort of working on this since 1994. And for me, it's um, it's really trendy. Wherever I look, uh, people are talking about mental health, mental well-being, suicide prevention, blah, 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 blah. And there's all this money being thrown at it. But all that, none of that money gets down to the park bench, to the seat around the campfire. All that money goes into establishing organizations and funding their bureaucracy. 
and all of these organizations sprout a common narrative it's all about yeah coming the, the whole system for me is set up to maintain the customer base well I'll just talk about quickly um, like did you know that not one psychiatrist has ever claimed to have cured anybody so what have they all been doing since about 1880 you know and this you know this may sound crazy but, but it's my truth the whole the majority of the Western medical system is set up to maintain the customer base like if psychiatrists could cure somebody they be out of a job in a week and because psychiatrists only deal with the mind they and the symptoms that present in the physical world they can they can never heal um, depression or any other mental illness because they are all wounds of the soul they are all the the way the body is telling the the person to wake up and find their own truth and and live their own live their own truth but what I love about um, I'm involved in so many organizations here like uh, roses in the ocean um, Outback Mind uh, Australian men's well-being um, and I used to run support groups in the 90s as well and what I love about there is a new trend coming out and I'm part of a panel um, of nationwide um, lived experience people there is a trend now for the narrative moving away from this is what you need to do to survive and live with depression rather there is a, um, a growing movement of giving credibility and it's all non-clinical it's all about people that have had the experience and worked through it and sharing their stories so by non-clinical means it's got nothing to do with psychiatrists or psychologists or government or the pharmaceutical industry it's all about getting people together sharing how they healed themselves and what's happening from this panel the purpose of this panel that I'm involved in is to actually make recommendations to government as to how to deal with mental health issues like suicide now for me um, you know um, preventing suicide for me is too little too late I'm not, my my best thinking is that as soon as somebody presents with depression then they should be offered the option of holistic healing modalities rather than the majority the vast majority just get here take this pill the pain will go away it won't go away it's still there it's just you can't feel it anymore and because you can't feel it you'll never heal it so I'm, I'm loving the fact that there's this non-clinical groundswell movement happening and I'm glad to be part of that
Okay. You'll go. Dr. Nancy Sinobi, can you can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Okay, good. Then I'm still everything's still working on my end. You know, um I I know Bobby, you know you brought up um a lot of different subjects that you know are obviously covered uh in a lot of these shows um that are that are typically topics when we're discussing recovery from um child abuse. And um one of the things I know, you know, we we've talked about is um, is triggers um, and and you know the ongoing process of recovery and managing triggers. And um, I'm just curious as to how you've incorporated that in your own um, recovery process. So the word was triggers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. <coughs> triggers are great. Triggers are brilliant. Another word for them is buttons, yeah? You push my buttons. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, for me, yeah. I realized triggers are a great gift because they showed me the areas in my own development that I needed to work on. And why? Because <clears throat> what I'm sharing, which is my lived experience, you know, my life, my witness testimony, what I am sharing is just data. It's just information. And I do it in a non-judgmental, non-abusive way. And so this is my story, my truth. Now, whoever's listening, if they get triggered by it, then how they choose to respond to the data I've shared is entirely their choice. So if they get triggered, then there's something that, you know, that uh, I would strongly suggest that they took a take a good look at because you know I'm not and that's that's why one of the stages I went through was deprogramming myself from codependent behavior and mm -hmm. and and this little phrase guided me all the way through and that was unsolicited advice is abuse mm, now interesting in my, yeah, in my life, when I am struggling the most, that is when I learn the most about me. But also, it's at that time where I get surrounded by all these rescuers, you know. Oh, I know what you need to do, Bob, you need to do. And I say, whoa, bro, whoa, you know. Thanks very much, but I'm here to live my life my way, not your way. It's because what I'm doing or what I am sharing has triggered a response in them and they are uncomfortable with the way I am living and they want to live, want me to live their way. No, I'm not here to live my life their way. I am sovereign and they are sovereign and they are here to live their life their own way. And so for me, unsolicited advice is abuse. Now, if you want to be a true friend, if you want to be a true friend, be around when I put my hand up and ask for help. Hey, mate, look, this is what I'm facing. I just don't know what to do. 
don't know what to do. So it's always about respecting the sovereignty of the other person, not offering unsolicited advice. If you see something, some behavior that's um, uncomfortable for you, that might be threatening, life-threatening to the person that you're, you're looking at, and say, hey, Bob, are you open to feedback? And then it's then up to me to say yes or no. But it always has to be at the permission of that sovereign, of me. Bob, do you want some feedback on that? Uh, yeah, no, no I'm, I'm all right, mate. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, what's your take on this? What was, what was your experience when you went through this situation? Yeah, 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 bring it on, let me know. <laughs> That's it. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you, met, you mentioned that about unsolicited advice because, you know, um, I've never really considered that, you know, in that context. But interestingly, you know, um, my uh, abuser um, not only meted out unsolicited advice, but then there was volatility when unsolicited advice was followed as well. There was, there was, uh, um, there was violence and, and, and abuse from not following unsolicited advice. Um, yeah. It's so interesting to me, unsolicited advice. Because yeah, I just think of the agency. I'm sorry. That's all right. You, you do. Well, <laughs> I, I, just, I, do, I do believe that, you know, agency is, you know, impacted when, um, you know, as individuals, you know, we're not allowed to make our own decisions uh, and have have the freedom to make our own decisions. Um, the unsolicited advice, the coercion, um, and a lot of children, you know, and I certainly was, you know, you're not allowed to tell anyone, you're not allowed to have any feelings, right? You're not allowed to have any reactions, you know. Here's, you know, it wasn't really advice, it was more of a mandate, but... Um, it's hard to have that sense of agency and be able to advise oneself, you know, when when you're bereft of that, when you're de- deprived of that, um, if you will. But, yeah, well, for me, as a child, I was powerless. You know, I was just small and powerless. Um, but I wasn't to blame. You know, my childhood um, violent environment I was not responsible for but as an adult I am powerful and my life is my responsibility and so the question I'm going to ask of many many people which which tends to piss off a lot of people is if you are not creating your life then who is now every event that occurs in my life holds a lesson for me and a classic one was, in 2017, I'd been living on my boat, Fidelio, for about eight years, and then Cyclone Debbie came along and picked it up and threw it at the land, and it didn't quite make it. Luckily, I'd, I got off, um, I, I made my boat as secure as I could and uh, got my two dogs in the dinghy and grabbed my um, sense of humour <laughs> and went ashore and found safe haven. And people are saying, oh, Bob, you've lost everything. You've lost your home and blah, blah, blah. And my response to that was, okay, this event has happened. 
what in this life that I do create. So why did I create this lesson? What what do I need to take away from this situation? And the lesson I learned was to totally let go of the attachment to things. And I reckon I paid a fair price for that. But also, going through that experience of living through a Category 5 cyclone, <laughs> probably another near-death experience, was to see Mother Nature at, at her boldest and brassiest, to see shipping containers being blown down the street, to see the land transformed, what was a green and pleasant land in the space of 24 hours became brown because every leaf was stripped off every tree but it was also a time of great community because the outside help couldn't get here so the community got together and we fixed the problem ourselves by getting together and cooking for each other and supporting each other and so by the time the, the you know the, the emergency services arrived we'd done the job we'd done the job yeah <laughs> and the other thing I remembered from my previous talk about um, suicide prevention being too little too late is just to reinforce that as soon as anybody presents with depression or any uh, any strain or strange behaviour give them the option that, that the option first should be holistic spiritual um, natural rather than just you know give them a pill but again I say if you're not creating your life who is and if you are not creating your life then you are surely victim by definition so it's time to stand up do the work move beyond victim to sovereign and I'm just a simple bloke, and if I can do it, anybody can. Now, I don't have your answers, but I might have some of your questions. Uh, you know, and if you want to spend time with me, just contact me either through Facebook, or come and join my Zoom group, or find other people out there, and there are, there are many, many, many more that are walking the same, same path, and that's the path of the inner journey. Because there is no out there, out there. All that I have found all my own answers, all my solutions within my own heart, within me. And, you know, as the Bible tells us, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within each of us. So, you know, that's the way you're going to find it. It's within, not out there. <laughs> oh, shut up, Bob. <laughs> oh, you'll go. You're fine. Thank you for that. Um, you know, again, it's so important to to take this, um, you know, to take this next step in helping others. And um, I wanted to just, uh, I know we're almost getting close to the ending. I wanted you to talk a little bit about the letter that you wrote your mom. And how was that experience, that beautiful experience that you had uh, with the spiritual medium? Like what prompted you to reach out to a spiritual medium? And do that closure. I mean, I know the letter was a big um, closure for you, but being able to connect the dots and really hear 
how of it, how much of an impact that was, even for your mom on the other side, uh, in her recovery beyond, you know, on the other side of her life. Um, and so if you can just tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great. For those who are interested, because many people have wondered and thought about uh, reaching out to a medium um, who has experience in that area. Well, again, my, my answer is very, very simple. Um, I was just following my heart. I was just following my heart. And it was my heart that led me, because I'm all over the Internet, and, um, you know, I call into uh, dozens and dozens of shows, and one was um, run by a good friend of mine, Nicole uh, Whitney. It's called um, The News for the Soul, and she has these different sort of experts on there like um, Chad and uh, Deepak Chopra and Greg Braden and spiritualists and mediums and all sorts of people. It's a great show and it's been running for 26, 25, 26 years. And so it was through that platform that I saw this uh, spiritual medium and called into the show and said, you know, um, and I I was in that sort of still trying to resolve um, the feelings around my mum. No, just after, actually. And that's when the lady told me stuff about that only mum and I knew. You know, so I thought, well, yeah, this is real. And and that's when she told me that, you know, mum was so glad, although it it was painful for her at the time. She was so glad that I wrote that letter because it made her realise that she was a victim of a victim. And so, and that's one of other of my statements that um, we're all victims of victims, and if you don't hand it back, you pass it on. But another powerful tool, another powerful tool is I call it spells. My words are my spells, so I do cast them wisely. For the universe is always listening and takes everything I say literally, literally. So now, I recommend everybody, and it takes a while, it takes a lot of practice, to constrain themselves and only use I statements. Now, I no longer use words like should, could, would, ought to, because they all decry conscious choice. Oh, I should do that. But why? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I just should. You know? So I don't use those words. And two other words, and this is where it gets difficult for people to reprogram in the way they speak, is the two magic words are we and you. Now, I often hear people say, now, we need to do this, we need to do that, or we believe this, or we believe that. Now, I'm listening to that, and I say, well, can you show me the list of people that your we statement applies to? And if my name is on it, strike it out, because nobody speaks for me. I speak for myself. So I have no problem speaking to the we, speaking to the group, and sharing my story. But I can never, ever, ever speak for the group unless the group gives me their permission. 
you know, unless, yeah, we'll elect you as leader and you can speak for us. But I can never speak for the we. And the same applies to the word you. How often do you hear, oh, when you do this, you feel like this, you know. And so often I, I just listened to that and thought, well, the last time I did that, I didn't feel like that anything like what she said, you know. So who is this you that you are talking about? Once again, you know, I cannot speak for you. Only you can speak for you. I can speak to you, but I can never speak for you. I can speak to the we, but I can never speak for the we. So I would thoroughly recommend practicing Try going a day without using we or you. And if you get to the stage where you're saying, um, we believe that, da, 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 look at the word we and say, well, I believe that Western society needs to do this. You know, and that's, that's great because, you know, you, you've, you've shared your belief, but you're not speaking for everybody else. Do you get the subtle difference there? So, I, I, you know, practice, practice just using, only using um, I statements and let me know how you go. And it's taken me years, years to, to get that. But it all comes back to sovereignty. You know, I can only speak for myself and I encourage everybody else just to only speak for yourself. For me, all opinions are worthless, even this one. They are, are like hearsay evidence in court. They have no grounding in lived experience. So what I'm sharing is my story, my truth, my witnessed testimony, my life experience. And, and because of that, I can only use I statements. So that's a real big one, and it, it's tricky, but it took me a long time. But the value of coming from that position, for me, I just I can't explain how, how rich and abundant my life is just by owning everything I say, do, think, feel. <laughs> this has been an absolutely great show, and thank you for allowing me the... the um, yeah, the uninterrupted space to to share what's present for me. So thank you very much, ladies. This is awesome. You're very welcome. I think that that's really important. And a lot of times people struggle with that, respecting others' opinions, others' choices, and really um, understanding, that's what you said earlier, unsolicited advice. Uh, you know, it's abuse. It's a form of abuse. Um, if someone's not asking you, don't judge them. Just respect them where they are and um, and just stay in your lane. Respect everyone else's choices, their decisions, and don't judge people and don't, you know, don't, don't, don't be uh, abusive. I think that um, it's just really important to practice that. I, I really like that, and I appreciate that respecting others we we all have different walks in our recovery 
and uh, and you don't know what people have been through. So just respect others and don't judge them because you don't agree with what they're doing or what their choice is. Just respect. Very big. Yeah. yeah, and what I love to say to people is whatever works for you is okay with me. I simply expect the same respect in return. Bang! That was, that was good. <laughs> and that was good. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Does anyone else, Miss Penelope, did you have a comment, a question? You know, I really, um, I didn't have a question, but I do have a comment. I and mean, I do think, you know, it is um, really important. Um, I love uh, the fact that you asked the question, Dr. Nancy, and that Bob you know, answered about, you know, writing the letter to his mother. Because I think that it's really important to have that uh, opportunity to have a truthful dialogue, um, whether, um, you know, your, your parents or the person that you need or you wish to address um, is, you know, um, alive or not alive. I think it's really important to have that dialogue uh, it, because it's a truthful dialogue. It's a dialogue that um, I think is a really important part of the recovery process. I think just the going through activity, going through the motion, um, and actually putting the pen to paper um, and, and naming and, and writing down. There was a quote somewhere I heard someone once say that nothing is, Nothing is real until it's written down on paper. I'm not sure who said that, but I, there is something about putting it in writing um, and and going through that process. And so, it was important for me my own recovery. And and my um, both of my parents, I wrote some letters, and they actually received them when they were alive. But um, there was a, I felt a huge sense of um, because that truth had been uh, released, um, there was a, a peace and a more of a lightness. And I think. Um, either in life or in death, I think it's uh, it's beneficial. And so, Bob, I appreciate that you went through that process a little bit more um, unconventionally than I did, um, but that you had the same, it sounds like you had the same result. Um, there was there was a success. There was a, you know, um, a benefit um, in doing that, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. So that's what, really, thank you for letting me make that comment because, um it may seem interesting, you know, a very novel idea to write a letter um, in that in that um, format. But it's it's for me, and it sounds like for Bob, it was it's very very um, purposeful and uh, beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Just the process of writing that letter and and letting not control the pen. It's just just let let the writing keep on till I couldn't recall any more of my childhood wounds was really healing just in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I am here. I am sovereign. I, you know, I just, uh, I have a story. I deserve to be heard. Everybody does, you know, I call this the gift of the talking stick. I, I do not come here expecting agreement for all are unique. I simply expect your acceptance and validation of my own reality. Wow. And all, by the way, 
All these quotes are in my books. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So we have about 10 more minutes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how people could find you, how people could contact you? And uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about how that experience was with the medium. That'd be great. Well, I spent most of my life um, living in headspace in my amazing intellect. My IQ is 150. I was in automotive research, so I was really, you know, in that scientific mode. And so I was, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, or measure it, it doesn't exist. That was my kind of mindset. But by actually <coughs> connecting through mum, with mum, through this medium, it opened up another avenue. You know, it's like, I know what I know, and I know what I don't know, but then I don't know what I don't know. And it was that one, that doorway that opened. It opened so me to a whole other realm of possibilities because what was shared was true you know nobody else could have known what transpired between me and mum these you know private things and yet this this uh, medium did and so that was a great awakening for me and the best way to find to find me is um, if you want to chat or quick connect I'm always on Facebook so just look for Bob Eden on Facebook and I'm the one that is sailing in paradise and for everything else that I've done my books and my interviews just search the gift of depression space Bob Eden so that's the gift of depression space Bob Eden on Google and all of my stuff will come up and just follow the links and just um, the only thing I charge for is uh, my books, all my um, interviews, and my YouTube channel videos are all free. Um, yeah, so, I'll, and please, 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 if you go to my YouTube channel and watch my any of my YouTube videos on personal growth, please like and subscribe to the channel, but also check out the show notes because. In the show notes, there is a link to my mailing list. And then so by clicking that, you'll get a free copy of my story, but also you'll be on my mailing list. So I can keep you up to date with um, any further advances that I've made on my own journey. So thank you for that um, opportunity of um, (laughs) self-promotion. Oh, dear. I was so nervous, so excited, you know, at the beginning of this show. But that was just my body raising its vibration to the level that it needed to to deliver what I have. So it's all good. So thank you very much, ladies. Oh, I think I'll take my dog for a swim now. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? I love the fact, like I said uh, earlier, I love the fact that you can laugh and and you make it a priority to smile and to to, to laugh and have a good giggle. I think you left us with that wonderful reminder 
You don't want to always it, wallow in the past. It's important to enjoy life today, every day. Well, the way I look at it is the only person that takes you seriously is you. There's <laughs> <laughs> a beat. Yeah, it's just I'm trying to shut it down. It's it's one of my alarm clocks going up. So it's all right. It doesn't mean we're about to sink or anything, you know. Dive, dive, dive. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. the best way to laugh and enjoy every day. Just, you know, sometimes we take life so seriously and we, we were angry and just letting things drive us crazy and make us miserable. How do you... How do you stay so positive? What helps you to stay so positive? Um, because being joyful is an essential element of our humanness. We, for me, every person is having this physical experience and it's supposed to be joyful and informative and wholesome and loving you know, it's not supposed to be, you know, going through hellfire or, you know, <laughs> or living in the mud. You know, I love playing in the mud. I'm still a big kid, but you know what I mean? Um, and so many people who think that, you know, oh, dear me, oh, poor me, you know, blah, blah, blah. all they're doing is rehearsing their distress. They're sitting in their mire. They're sitting in their state of dis-ease. And it's okay. You know, shit happens. Um, I knew I couldn't change my past, but I had a feeling that I could go back and heal it. So I did. And it was that healing, taking responsibility for my life and not expecting somebody else to fix it. It was that knowing that I, that feeling that I could heal my past that liberated me. So, I, you know, I thoroughly recommend everybody as a cracker healing the wounds of childhood. And however you do it, it's up to you because you're unique. And I cannot imagine any child in any family in Western society that has had all of their developmental needs met. Yeah? So that means that just like every family just about as children that are carrying these wounds and they're as adults. It's possible, you know. Uh, there may be a few, that, uh, but I think probably most, the most wholesome upbringing was the way the, the tribal people brought their children up, you know. They, were, they weren't only parented by their parents who were with them and the kids were working with them in the field or, you know, they were t the, the, the parents were always physically and emotionally available for them. But if they couldn't, they had aunts and uncles and cousins and the, the, the kids were raised, in effect, by the whole community. And that's something we don't do anymore. Mum and dad have got to go off to work, so they dump their kids in childcare. Uh, how spiritually healing is that? Anyway, <laughs> that's a bit too serious for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, you did great. So we're closing off in two minutes. Just wanted to um, make sure that any last words, we have two minutes. Anything else you want to add in here? Bob? Uh, Yeah, just uh, everybody's on their own hero's journey. And the only place I've found any answers was in my own heart, within, you know, my heart. My, my gut feeling I, I bet my life on my gut feeling so the challenge is get out of headspace move into heart space the sea is much calmer here <laughs> well, thank you lady thank you so much uh, just for sharing your time thank and you. sharing your knowledge and Share your testimonies. Go ahead, Mr. Melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. It's always a pleasure to have you, Mr. Melody. You want to say any words at the end? Oh, just it's always just a real pleasure for me, Dr. Nancy, to be on your host team. And so, thank you for having me this evening and giving me the opportunity to ask so many questions. It was a great show and um, I'm looking forward to many more in the future. So thank you. Me too. I have no intention of dying. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you again next time. Hopefully we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, your experiences with your uh, pets and how they help in the recovery process and things like that. But we're getting off now. But, uh, again, have a good night, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Scan number 3261. Have a good night. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.